KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. Trust in elections falls along a deep partisan divide. When people learn more about elections, who's running them, what steps they're taking to protect them, they become more trusting. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. As people head into the new year, some are heading out of San Diego for good. So that's Riverside, San Bernardino counties, LA and the OC. Um, All these places have seen a pretty substantial increase in the number of home seekers, both buyers and renters, coming from the San Diego area. Plus, there's a lot happening on the art scene this weekend. We'll have a preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. The 2022 midterm elections delivered some unexpected results for American voters. While many predicted a resounding GOP victory across both chambers of Congress, the red wave Democrats feared and Republicans cheered for did not come to pass. So how did this most recent election impact overall faith in the electoral process? According to a new report from the Yankelovich Center at UC San Diego, the partisan gap of trust in U.S. elections has grown even wider. Joining me now with more is Thad Kowser, a political science professor and co-director of the Yankelovich Center at UC San Diego. Thad, welcome back to Midday Edition. Thanks so much for having me, Jade. Let's start off with the big picture. Did the 2022 midterms restore trust in the electoral process for voters in any way? Yes, this election that went off without any administrative hitches and and with most of the losing candidates conceding immediately, overall, it led Americans to be more likely to trust their election system. So in a question about your overall trust in U.S. elections, uh, about 54% of Americans agreed that they trusted them, some or a lot, before the election. And in our Yankelovich survey taken after the midterms, that number rose to 61%. But that increase, that restoration trust, all came from Democrats and independents. Republicans were unchanged. And and, and so these divergent trends led to uh, an even bigger partisan divide. When we asked people, did you trust the 2022 midterms reflected the votes, the vote accurately? 85% of Democrats, but only 39% of Republicans said yes. 43% of Republicans said that they thought there was significant fraud. Only 8% of, of Democrats and a, and a quarter of independents thought that. So there's still these big divides in, in who trusts American elections. Wow. And so as you've touched on, Democrats were more than twice as likely as Republicans to view the midterm results as accurate. Why is that? Well, I think we've heard different messages from different party leaders, right? Democrats have have talked a lot about the the, the protections that are, are in elections, whereas Republican leaders, really starting with with Donald Trump, and you saw it this year with with Carrie Lake in Arizona, have have been making these unsubstantiated allegations of vote fraud. The other thing we know is that winning and losing elections 
has a huge impact on whether you trust elections. We see this uh, across U.S. history, across all uh, all countries, all democracies. When your side wins, you're more likely to trust. And I think that the fact that the red wave didn't materialize may be playing uh, some of this role in, in the fact that, that Republican trust didn't rebound as much as it did for Democrats and independents. Are Americans more trusting of their own local elections rather than elections in other cities or states? Yes, absolutely. And th- this is a an insight that, that came to us from, from the nonpartisan election officials that we partnered with to design this survey. So, so before drafting it, we worked with the, the people running elections in, in Texas, Colorado, Georgia, and Los Angeles County. Talk to them. They want to know, do people trust their elections? Do people trust them? What are they worried about? And, and they said, you know, I think people trust us. They just don't trust other states. We found that was true regardless of party. Uh, 72% of Americans trust elections in their own state, but only 58% trust elections in other states. Uh, and that divides even more stark among Republicans. So it's really like the kind of way that people love their member of Congress, but hate Congress. People love their elections. They trust their own ballot to be counted. It's other people's ballots and other states uh, that, that we need to be sold on. Was this study able to find any demographic correlation for electoral trust, such as race, gender, or ethnicity? Yeah, th- this is one thing that there's not a big gender gap on. So there's like really like just a one percentage point difference in, in trust between the genders uh, in, in a time when there's a big gender gap in, in how people voted in Congress. But but you're absolutely right that there is a difference based on people's race or ethnicity. We found that that whites uh, and Latinos, and this was a national sample of over 3,000 voters, were were less trusting. So only 59% overall trusted that the midterm re- results accurately reflected the vote. That number was 68% for Black Americans, 74% for Asian Americans. So some of these racial divides that, that are always prominent in American politics also carry over into the trust in elections question. When people learn more about elections, who's running them, what steps they're taking to protect them, they become more trusting. Uh, we These election officials pointed us towards these videos that they were producing or, or interviews that, that state secretaries of state were doing to explain elections. And so we used a survey experiment where we randomly showed some of our, uh, some of our respondents these videos and, and others looked at an unrelated video like Jake from State Farm. And, and what we found is the people who who watch videos about what how elections are really being run became two to three percentage points more likely to trust them. And this effect was true across the board for, for all parties. So what this shows is, is that there's hope, right? When, when people learn more, they like elections more. And, and these nonpartisan messages run by done by the people who are actually in, in the inside of running elections can be effective as an antidote for the distrust we have now in American elections. I've been speaking with Thad Kauser, co-director of the Yankelovich Center at UC San Diego. Thad, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jade. As the year winds down, some San Diegans are packing up and heading out, not for a holiday trip, but for a change of residence. KPBS reporter Jacob Ayer looks at how some people are getting priced out and pushed out of the region. It's no secret San Diego County is an expensive place to live, but life has gone extra pricey over the past couple of years. 
and evictions are stressing out many renters. We figured when the property was sold, at some point we were going to give a notice to vacate. And that's exactly what happened to George Rolls. He got that notice just after San Diego's no-fault eviction moratorium was lifted in September. He was told to be out of his Hillcrest home two weeks before Christmas. And now, his living situation has gotten a lot more expensive. And then trying to find something in this market coming from where we have been, you know, at a reasonable rent for 15 years and finding something now that my rent is literally being quadrupled. Situations like that are making many contemplate their future in the region, especially those with lower incomes. So I'm moving back home to Arkansas. I'm going to be staying with family for a while. Um, I'm already have a job there. I already got hired at a Starbucks down there. We talked to Lila Miller when she was packing up her belongings in Chula Vista. She'd fallen behind on rent and got an eviction notice. The cost of living priced her out of renting elsewhere in San Diego. Um, everything else was just too expensive or too far away from where I was working. A lot of them were like 2200 2400 all the way up to like $3,000 an apartment for like a two-bedroom just like this. University of San Diego economics professor Alan Jin says in a housing market that is both expensive and in short supply. The expiration of uh, eviction protections is going to make the problem worse. Uh, so people at the low end had some protection, but, but now they could be sub uh, susceptible then to eviction. And if that's the case, then many of them will have to uh, leave the region. Jeff Tucker is an economist with Zillow. He says San Diego County got roughly 33% more expensive during the pandemic. It's now the fourth highest priced metro area in the U.S. Tucker says that's why San Diegans are moving to other counties at a higher rate than in the past. So that's Riverside, San Bernardino counties, L.A. and the O.C. Um, all these places have seen a pretty substantial increase in the number of home seekers, both buyers and renters, coming from the San Diego area. The U.S. Census Bureau says last year San Diego County lost population for the first time in a decade. Tucker says remote work is giving people more flexibility. This really is a story of people looking to find a place where they can make ends meet, where they can sort of reach their American dream of a place of their own, maybe home ownership and a house that fits their family. Um, and that is increasingly infeasible in San Diego for the middle and working classes. And those who don't leave San Diego, like George Rolls, are finding other ways to cut back. We had a decent amount of disposable income, but now most of our money is going to have to go to actually physically living. Miller says if she didn't move back to Arkansas, she'd likely end up homeless. I do hope to come back to California. I really do love it here. It's just, it's too expensive. Like I'm, I'm working so hard. Like I work uh, 12 to 16 hours a day sometimes and I still can't afford to live here, even with a roommate in a two bedroom apartment. <laughs> Jin sees one clear answer for the long-term solution. And what's really needed is uh, what some people call workforce housing. Uh, that is housing then for people who are kind of in the middle. Uh, these, are, these are going to be your teachers, they're going to be your police officers, your, your, your normal uh, working uh, people who want to live in San Diego and, and, but, but can't afford it uh, at this point. For the short term, renters are hoping for stronger tenant protections. The San Diego City Council will consider an updated tenant protection ordinance early next year. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News.
KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. For our weekend arts preview, we have a local jazz trumpet legend, a Kate Bush cover band, contemporary dance for the Jewish holidays, and sewing machines. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts producer and editor, Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. So let's start with Kate Bush. Baby Bushka is a beloved local cover band known as the Kate Bush Experience of Your Dreams. They perform tonight at the Music Box, right? Yeah, they do. And they are so much more than just a cover band. This is a band of eight women and just an incredible collection of talent, of musicianship. There are multiple PhDs in this band, and they have amazing harmonies and vocals. Their arrangements of Kate Bush's music, they're really well done. But they also do this full-on choreographed, costumed, basically a theatrical production for their shows. It really is an experience and it feels so immersive for the audience. And if we're talking about Kate Bush in 2022, we have to talk about the Stranger Things phenomenon. one of the Baby Bushka founders, this is Natasha Kozeli, about just how wildly famous Running Up That Hill got after season four of Stranger Things. Friends of mine were like, oh my god, like, you guys called it. And I mean, it's not surprising to me that Kate Bush still is this incredible source of inspiration for everyone, and also that she was just on the verge of another massive rise to fame again 35 years later. But it's especially not a surprise to the women of Baby Bushka, who have practically become Kate Bush scholars over the last couple of years. Kate Bush is such a great storyteller. It's like the soldier, the the doctors experimenting, you know, the the relationship and running up that hill, the babushkas, the the bank robbers. It's very just like all these little vignettes of like these human experiences. The show is at Music Box, which is a bigger venue than their usual performances. It's tonight at 9 o'clock, and there will also be a little Kate Bush-themed holiday market. They have handmade some ornaments that are Kate Bush-themed. We also have a contemporary dance company who have collaborated with klezmer musician and composer Yale Strom for a special production about Jewish holidays. What can you tell us? Right, so this is Litback Dance. They are a local contemporary dance company based in North County, and they'll be performing two shows at the Lawrence Family JCC on Sunday. And Yale Strom is a Jewish ethnomusicologist, and he's a performer, and he's composed new music to accompany new choreography from Litback. And the show is called Light, and it melds together magical realism with... Jewish holiday traditions and histories centering on Shabbat. And it's told through the eyes of a woman and her 10-year-old daughter. 
The two performances on Sunday differ just a little bit. The two o'clock matinee is part of the Lawrence Family Jewish Community Center's Hanukkah Happenings program, and it'll have a mixture of recorded music and live music, whereas the seven o'clock show will be set entirely to live music, and it'll also be followed by a full performance from Strom's band. All right, and So Loca is a sewing studio in Barrio Logan, and they're hosting their first art show this Saturday. Tell us who the artists are and what the art is about. Right, this is a show focused on the mighty sewing machine and the importance of the production of clothing and garments to our culture. And I couldn't think of a better place for this show about the sewing machine than Soloka. They're a mainstay in not just Barrio Logan, but in the makers and the arts world in town. It was opened in 2013 by Claudia Rodriguez Bizanski, and she will have art in the show, as will Katie Ruiz, Rizal Javier, Panka, Yvette Roman, and more. There's 40 artists in total. And this is on view Saturday from 1 to 9 p.m. At 7 o'clock, they'll have a live sewing performance with Soloka along with music. And then our very own KPBS podcast host, Parker Edison, will also do a spoken word set that's also in the evening portion. And finally, jazz trumpeter Gilbert Castellanos is performing this weekend to celebrate a brand new album. Yes. So Gilbert Castellanos, he is legendary in San Diego. He's been performing for decades, and he started the Young Lions Jazz Conservancy. But a few years ago, he was sidelined due to some pretty serious dental damage from playing trumpet, and he started the string of surgeries to fix it. And coupled with the pandemic where performances shut down, he has had a rough few years, but he's back. He's performing a lot again. And the thing that strikes me the most about Gilbert Castellanos is how unflinchingly grateful and joyful he is when he talks about being back. Every time I play, I treat it like it's like my last day living. I treat it like it's like the altar when I step on that bandstand. I call it the altar of joy because it's a privilege to do what I do. My whole attitude has changed um, when it comes to music. And who knows if I'll ever get to play music again. And, and I want to make it count every time I play. And Castellanos also has a new album coming out this weekend. It's called Esperame en el Cielo, which translates to Wait for Me in Heaven. It's an excellent album. There's no originals on it, even though Castellanos is an accomplished composer. This is a collection of these very specific songs that he listened to that, that kind of got him through the last few years. This is the music that basically helped him survive. opening track from the album. It's called Bilad as Sudan, which starts out kind of slow and somber with all of these fragmented lines, and then it just kind of explodes into this big bop. And Castellanos has two shows this weekend at the San Diego Museum of Art. Saturdays is sold out, but there are still tickets for Sunday night. It starts at 8, but don't miss a pre-show set from Castellanos' beloved Young Lions jazz students. That's at 7 o'clock. All right, and you can find details on these and more arts events or sign up for Julia's weekly arts newsletter at kpbs.org arts. 
I've been speaking with KPBS arts producer Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, thanks. Thank you, Jade. Have a good weekend.
KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.